Hello, Gary Nemig, along with Eric Bailey, here to talk about the Sooners, all sorts of sports, uh, epicentered in Norman. Get, uh, I write columns. Eric is the uh, the beat writer, stories, notes, and columns. And uh, in the case of the Friday Tulsa World, introductory pieces on new football coaches. We both were at uh, Owen Field yesterday to reconnect with some some old faces, familiar faces, uh, the, the holdovers from Lincoln Riley staff who remain as part of Brent Venable's uh, regime. But Eric, you and I also had a chance to uh, meet and ask questions of uh, four of the newcomers. So we'd already hooked up with Jeff Levy and Ted Roof uh, around signing day. This was an opportunity to talk to Todd Bates, Miguel Chavis, uh, Jay Valai, and Brandon Hall, four new defensive assistant coaches. And there was all sorts of interesting from all of those guys. I thought it was a really, um, we were, it was two hours. Everyone got 15 minutes. It was a long day, but it was a very informative one. It was a lot of fun. And it was so much fun to see these guys face to face. It was almost like we're getting back to normalcy. We're working our way back. And the one guy I laughed at the most was Joe John Finley, because since he's been hired, all we've done is Zoom calls with him. This is the first time that he's been at a lectern talking to reporters. And the first thing he says, I feel like LeBron James up here. <laughs> you mentioned Miguel Chavis. I was talking to Mike Houck, the Oklahoma media relations uh, director. Uh, and he said he doesn't think Miguel, who's a first-year coach, has ever had that before. Maybe at Clemson as a player, but you know, Miguel handled himself really well up there answering questions. So it was just fun to see faces. It was good to see Bill Beatonbow and, uh, like you said, Todd Bates meeting him for the first time. And, wow, it was it was only 15 minutes per coach, but we got a lot out of each 15-minute segment. You know what? Before we get to the newcomers and sort of dip our toes into to, you know what they bring to the program or what we learned, how, how about this? How interesting was it to hear, in particular, Biedenboe and Gundy, Kale Gundy, talk about how hard it was going through that process be between Lincoln Riley's departure and Brent Venable's arrival? Some coaches downplay that stuff, difficult situations, crises, for lack of a better word. I thought Biedenboe and Gundy sort of uh, met them head on yesterday and really opened up about uh, just, just how much that that was just how hard that was on both of them and how it left them uh, wondering about, about things we take for granted. Uh, two coaches as proven as they've been for Oklahoma, yeah. you, you would think wouldn't have anything to worry about. And they, they felt very much that they had something to worry about. You know, assistant coaches during these transitions are the forgotten people. I mean, they have, it's not just them, it's their families. And that's kind of what Bill Biedenboe kind of related to was his family. You know, he, he didn't want to move. He really loves Oklahoma. He's not from Oklahoma, but he said Oklahoma is home. That was impressive. He said when he retires, he's, like, he's got a lake house on Grand Lake, and that's where he's going to retire. So he, he's Oklahoma through and through. And during that time, he, he made, it was interesting that he did say that he let the Oklahoma administration know that if there was a way, he wanted to stay. He said some of those guys, they just had no choice. They had to go uh, because, you know, you need a job. So, but Bill Beanbow wanted to stay. So it worked out for him. And I thought Kel Gunny said a couple interesting things when he talked about the process. You know, you know, he, he didn't know what was going to happen. He said, if you would have told me Brent Venables was going to be the coach, I could have breathed easier at night. Yeah. I'm so, sorry, at night. But he said a couple things that was interesting. One, uh, Kel said that um, <laughs> Oklahoma is building. He said that they're, they're, uh, they're not a 7-5 and five or a 4-8 and eight team. And it made me laugh when he said 4-8 and eight because that was USC's record last year. I don't know if he was a subtle jab at SC or not. <laughs> Oklahoma's not a 4-8 team. 
And then he said that, you know, he, you know, maybe he was just half-heartedly joking, but he said he told his brother, uh, hey, keep an eye out. I might need a job. So that would, how cool would that have been if uh, Hill Gundy was dressed in orange this spring, getting ready to help OSU? So it, it all worked out. It worked out. They love Levy. They said that they're learning the system. And it, Kel Gundy was on fire. He said learning the playbook and the system is like learning Portuguese. <laughs> It's brand new to them. So, but they're all, they're all working. I mean, it sounds like they get there at six in the morning and they leave at seven at night trying to get ready for spring ball. Yeah. This, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy that for years, Bob Stoops and then even Riley to an extent were known for being very, I don't know, easy is the right word, but being agreeable to work for, for yeah. from an assistant standpoint, make sure you get your work done when you're here, but don't feel you have to, pull a Bill Snyder and, and hypnotize yourself to avoid sleep, right? That, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, I'm not saying that Brent Venables is ordering these guys around and, and saying, I need to see you here. You'll, your family, you'll get to your family this summer for like two days. I don't think he's doing that, but to a man, you, you got a sense of the time commitment that everyone has put in since this staff came together. And it, it really is, uh, you know, Rooster Crow wake up, and if you're lucky, you're home in time to tuck the kids in. So th this is comp you get in the feeling that the Venables is building a, a, an even more comprehensive staff than Riley built, which is more comprehensive than Stoops always had. Mm -hmm. But when you build that kind of a staff with all of the analysts and all of the departments and, you know, things like the, you know, the, the much publicized soul mission that's been undertaken by Caleb Kelly, Josh Norman, former players, Curtis Lofton, that, that's that's the that's, that's a machine. That takes a lot of parts that ha that sort of have to function smoothly, and that takes the time that these guys are, are speaking about. Yeah, and I just thought it was interesting that you know another name that they brought up was Thad Turnipseed, who's like the executive, uh, kind of like this executive support system guy. I can't think of his overall title right now off the top of my head, but he's a guy that Brent Venables came brought on board to kind of show what Oklahoma needs to get done. I mean, it was funny the stories that we that Kale said that. He came in and said, let's knock this wall down here. Let's put these two, take these two walls down. We can put cubicles here. I mean, he wants to get things done. And, and Brent had told Kel that uh, Turnipseed would do that. He was that kind of guy that gets things done and put Oklahoma in a position to win football games and be the best college football program. Sometimes it's good to have that outside direction, something that you guys haven't had over the past 20, 21 years if you're Oklahoma, someone to see it, get a new view of it. Because a lot of the things that are, you know, there's nothing wrong with what they've done over the past two decades. Of course, the results speak for themselves, but there's something to be said for having new eyes and fresh ideas come in and, and try to kind of make things even better. The connection to the, the four new defensive assistants outside of Roof, again, we're talking about the four that we met yesterday, the position coaches. You draw a connection between them and Venables at Clemson in some cases, but I thought it interesting there was a connection as well to Alabama in the case of uh, Todd Bates. A defensive line coach who played at Alabama, so you referenced, uh, played at, uh, the Sooners back in 2002 at, at the stadium that, that he spoke in yesterday, and then Jay Valai uh, coming coming from Alabama and uh, getting an interesting phone call from an interesting figure, right? The night of <laughs> the night of the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Jay Valai had just gotten hired. I think he was 11 days in as the Philadelphia Eagles cornerbacks coach when he got a phone call by. This is Coach Valai's words, the GOAT. And he talked about Nick Saban, who asked if he'd want to be Alabama's cornerbacks coach. And he didn't turn that down. He, in a heartbeat, instantaneously, he said, yes, I'll do that. 
So he said he planned on being Philadelphia's quarterbacks coach, and he, he turned around and was Alabama's quarterbacks coach this past season, and then had the opportunity to come to Oklahoma. I, I thought it was interesting that he really he, the connection to Venables. You know, he said that they met in Miami. They love ball. I said he said we just talk about we're geeks, geeks about football, geeks about things, and I think that's on the recruiting trail. They met, they crossed paths, and I think that's where that started. So. And he's just, he's energetic. I mean, and you have to be, I mean, that's what we're seeing out of these coaches. It, it's fun. And then Todd Bates, <laughs> Todd Bates was interesting because you're right. I forgot about that 2002 game. Uh, Alabama had OU down, dead. That was the Ronaldo Works game. Ronaldo Works, Booker T. Washington's own Ronaldo Works. Yep. Big plays. And then Alabama was on a last gas drive and the quarterback fumbled and taken back for a touchdown. The final was 37-27, but OU had, <laughs> OU was losing. <laughs> The fourth quarter, it's not, it wasn't a 10 point win by any means. So, uh, but yeah, it was good talking to Todd Bates. He's one that I'm really interested in. You know, Coach Bates, he talked about his poetry, uh, talked about doing freestyle in high school. said, never lost. He made sure to point that out. And, uh, and it's something we see on social media. We see what, you know, what he does. You know, he's more than a football coach. He, he yeah. really is, for lack of a better word, real poetic. I mean, it's, it's really fun to watch him and talk to him. I mentioned support staff a little bit ago in terms of what Venables has brought to Oklahoma to, to, to sort of build that up even more than it was already established with, with Lincoln Riley. To get a sense of how real this has become nationally, uh, it's, it is, it, we're talking front off. I don't use department anymore or, or, or coaching staff when I, when I refer to a, a university anymore as, as, as much as I say front office. That's really what it yeah, looks like. Yeah. It's unbelievable how the explosion of staff size across across the sport, and you really it's it hits home when you when you hear the stories of these guys and two in particular Hall and Chavis, mm -hmm. both coming up right in in in, in that sort of Chavis very recently oh, yeah. uh, as an as an analyst at Clemson, a GA for a while, cutting their teeth that way, uh, and then doing an analysis work. And then what you hope is you do it long enough and you put in your time and, and put up with uh, the, the less glamorous stuff that mm -hmm. the, 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 not just the work you put in, but the relationship you build with the full-time staff guys and, and others that you know in the profession pays off and, you, and you're able to jump into something that's a little bit more stable and, uh, and full-time. It's funny with Miguel Chavis. I mean, he's still built like a linebacker, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it made me laugh because he got hired as a D, as, as an analyst at Clemson. And he said, by year one, I was just trying to figure out what Coach Venables was saying. He said, by year three, he had a good grasp of the defense. And by year four, he was like a lion in a cage. Those were his words. He's ready to attack it. And I think his enthusiasm uh, coming in is going to be huge. I think that's going to be huge. They need that that younger guy out there. That's good, that fierce younger guy. And that's what we're seeing out of Miguel Chavis. And then I, I'm really impressed with him. And, and you mentioned Brandon Hall. Here's a guy that was at Broken Arrow High School in 2007. That's I mean, crazy, yeah. Broken Arrow, yeah, he, he, you know, he's forced, he was on OU staff as a support staff person, student assistant, GA. He, you know, he learned under Stoops under those good years. And then he just kind of branched out. He was all over the place. And this is like a homecoming to him, getting to come back to Oklahoma. Uh, he, he said he learned and matured at those early places. And I was just impressed with him just getting the opportunity to come back to Oklahoma. We see it so many times with Kale Gundy, Joe John Finley, DeMarco Murray, guys like that, they get to come home. And it just means a little something extra when you get to coach at where you really learn the sport. I, I'll say this, that Venables continues to win the PR battle uh, by knockout. It was another day that reaffirmed not just the energy that he has brought 
to uh, to to OU, which he sort of expected. If you knew anything about Brent Venables, you knew that wasn't going to be an issue. You know, he he was going to come ready to, in fact, work twenty one to twenty two hours a day and and not you know not 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 take a breath. That that was no doubt about that. But just the, the behind the scenes, uh, uh, you know, the, the layers that that have already been established in terms of. We this is something that we, we thought we were doing, or you know, maybe we thought we were headed toward, but we really weren't. Well, now they're there, uh, just because of what Venables has established in terms of uh, the you know, we, we have this set aside not just for uh sprints and weightlift sessions, right, and and film room study, but literal player development. He's talking about investing time and resources in the case of extra support staff to uh to work on it, uh getting growing boys into men. I don't know how else to say it. And you also got that distinct impression that that has been well received and supported and, and met head on uh, not just by Venables, but by everyone under, under him on, on that staff. Yeah. To a man, that's basically what we're seeing. I mean, the, the the retained coaches and also the newcomers, everyone is, like I said earlier, it's just like a breath of fresh air. It's a, it's a different way of doing things. And, it may be not made the same way, but that doesn't mean it's the wrong way. And I think that just bringing that fresh perspective, not just from the head coach, but from those assistants, it's going to be huge for Oklahoma. It's, it's going to be huge for the players. They're sitting there getting, they're learning a lot of things and they're getting to know their position coaches. And, and so when uh, March 22nd comes, that's when um, spring ball begins. That's when we'll see what happened, what moves forward. It's going to be, I, I'm ready for football games. I'm ready after, after talking to those coaches. I'm ready for the spring to start. Sure. You mentioned the date of the start of the spring. There's a key date next week that, that involves past Sooners. It's Pro Day, right? It's going to be Wednesday. Uh, that's that's almost an all-day affair where you've got, uh, what's the number, about a dozen players? A dozen, dozen players, yeah. The 11 players that are at the NFL Combine are going to take part, and then LaRon Stokes is also going to take part. He's the 12th guy. Okay, so that's something we'll keep an eye on next week. Uh, that always produces a couple of very interesting stories as players who've uh, suited up for the Sooners uh, move on. You had a chance to break out Isaiah Thomas this past week, and it's also world. I know there are a lot of uh, folks interested in how he does, not just in Indianapolis at the Combine, but um, but uh, back at Pro Day uh, in Norman. Um, let's switch gears, get some basketball talk in. The Sooners, as we tape, are preparing for their final regular season game. It's at Kansas State, a place that has not been kind to them. Mm-hmm. Right, we're we're talking. It's it's been people talk about the long losing streak at Allen Fieldhouse for that program. The one in Manhattan's not quite as long, but it's they are overdue <laughs> a victory <laughs> acro- across the uh, northern border. Are they not? It's been a decade since they won there. The the state of Kansas has not been kind. Both institutions really uh, protect their home court against the Sooners, and this is a big game for OU. They need to win the game to avoid the play-in game for the Big Twelve tournament. And they have a little bit of momentum. They've won two straight, two big wins, Oklahoma State and West Virginia. And I think that was important. And then also, it's just they're learned to play without Elijah Harkless. That was, you know, that was just a late season blow right. that you had. So some of the young, you know, Porter Mosier challenged some of the young players. To basically, they had, to, they had to produce. And I think that that's coming to fruition a little bit. You know, Oklahoma's at their best when three, four, five guys are playing well, as any basketball team is. But OU's depth just isn't doesn't allow it allow guys to take off. I mean, if, if you only have two guys playing well on this team, it, it's, it's going to be a struggle. So that's the key for any success, both in Manhattan on Saturday and then in next week's Big Club tournament. They're going to have to have you know everything firing 
at this on the same plane. They're going to have that. Everybody's going to have to be produce and contribute. So, but we'll see what happens. We'll see if they can avoid that eight nine game. Let, yeah, let's make sure everyone's clear on this. If they lose tomorrow in Manhattan, it is the eight nine game against West Virginia. That is this Wednesday at six. Six, correct. And if they win, do we know their seed? They would be the, I think, I, unless, you know, goofy things can happen, but I'm almost pretty sure that they would be the uh, seven seed. They would be that number seven seed and play the two seed, uh, which we don't know who the two seed is going to be, either Kansas or Baylor. Right. I know there's still talk of NCAA tournament with Oklahoma. I just think they need a lot of help and they need to win games. I mean, they've kind of painted themselves in this corner where they had opportunities to win games and, and booster that, uh, bolster that resume. And they just didn't do it. So now, now there's no other way just to win games. I think if they win the finale and they win one of the Big 12, they're in the conversation. But you probably still need to win another game uh, to really uh, strengthen your, uh, your, your, uh, your chance to make the tournament. Yeah, I know fans are surfing uh, bracket, uh, bracketologist sites. Uh, this morning before uh, we, we did our – before coming on with you, I, I did check, I think, the two more, most, uh, most surfed. That's yeah. uh, Joe Lenardi's at ESPN and Jerry Palms at CBS. Lenardi still doesn't even have OU in next four out, not first four out. So that's, they're not even on the table. And I don't think Palm has Oklahoma among the – he doesn't have a first four out, but he has a list of bubble teams. And I, don't even, I don't think I saw the Sooners yeah. even one of his bubble yeah. teams. So, yeah, again, that's just – that's two guys that yeah. they, they've been doing this for a while. So you'd like to think they know the drill. But um, uh, as of right now, that's an indicator that, to your point, they have uh, they've had, they have some some major work to do and Eric this may be a deal where it, it's starting to remind me a little bit of Trey Young's one season in Norman where at the end of the season you looked at Oklahoma basketball and the way they were actually this team's playing better than that one was right yeah. but at the end of, yeah. of of Young season that did not look like an NCAA tournament team it was pretty clear yeah. that they were trending the wrong direction and really had no business propping themselves up as an NCAA tournament team, but because the committee uses more than, well, how have you played the last three weeks as a, as a guide? They, they went back to all of their success non-conference that year and some of the bigger pre-conference, uh, I don't know if they were called quad wins just yet, but, but uh, a, lot of, a lot of strength of schedule uh, work yeah. that that team put in paid off down the stretch. Maybe that's the best you could hope for with this team. It's not just that they're finishing strong, but they did some nice things uh, yeah. back before the Big 12 got a hold of it. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, and then that goes back to all the missed opportunities. I'll, I'll, I'm just going to harp on that over and over. Yeah. Just losing the TCU twice, that was big. I mean, you needed to win at least one against TCU because TCU has a strong resume now. And so I just think, and, and the funny thing is, it's just, they call it madness for a reason. No one can figure it out. So I just love this month. This is going to be a fun month of basketball. We'll just see what happens. All right, real quick, we'll uh, we'll drive by and see what's up with regard to the diamond sports. Uh, mm -hmm. Baseball looking looking generally good, I would think. Uh, uh, yeah, five and, yeah, it's a good start, five and two. The pitchers are throwing really well. And that was a problem last year. A lot of walks last year, a lot of free bases. And that had to drive Skip Johnson nuts because he's a pitching a pitching coach and just to see the free passes, I know that was frustrating to them last year, but they are playing a lot better right now as a team. They are, they are, um, they're putting things together. They have a tough three-game stretch down in Houston this weekend. They got LSU, UCLA, and Tennessee. So that's going to be a challenge. Yeah. But I just think that if they come out of this weekend, uh, if they can win two or three, I think this is a team you're going to have to really watch for. And, uh, you know, into, the, into March, uh, OU and OSU are going to play 1-0. 
So that'll be a fun game because we see what OSU is doing here, this year too. So uh, it's just college baseball. I mean, it gets kind of pushed under the radar right now because there's not a lot going on or there's too much, excuse me, but uh, the, these uh, OU is really playing well right now. And softball, of course, that pretty much narrows down to two things. Are the Sooners still undefeated? Yes, but it's closer than you might think uh, if you didn't pay attention to their their uh, their trip to uh, the, the Mary Nutter last week. And number two, has Jocelyn Allo broken Lauren Chamberlain's all-time home run record? And that's the much surprise, much more surprising answer, it, it being no, she has not. <laughs> it's funny, everyone's saying that she's getting the Barry Bonds treatment now. She's getting She walked 10 or 11 times in five games. And in the last game, Patty Gasso batted her leadoff. She hit her leadoff just because she wanted her to see pitches. Yeah. And uh, she had a couple of good shots, good hits. She hit a double off the wall. She had some foul balls that took forever to land, but she just didn't get a home run. And Oklahoma plays Minnesota at 5 o'clock on Monday. Will the record be broken? It's going to be curious. I guess it just depends on Minnesota if they're going to go after her or kind of be timid with her. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, The good news is if she does not break the record, in, on Monday against Minnesota, she goes to Hawaii. There's a three-game, four. I think they play four games in Hawaii, her home, her in her home state, uh, with in front of all her family. So if she doesn't do it Monday, uh, she's going to be excited and have her family and everyone in, in attendance to maybe see it in Hawaii next weekend. And that game Monday is in Norman, so she yeah. she's in she's in position. This is a good thing about maybe taking longer than we all expected. She's in position to break the record at home, one way or another, yeah. is what we're saying. Yeah. Which would which would be cool, um, and I think I think getting the home run will be big too. I mean, I think there's there's so much talk about it now. It's kind of like Lauren Chamberlain. Every at bat you're watching, and I think once it's finished, everyone can relax. For everyone, from the players to the fans to the media, I think everyone will be able to relax once this home runs hit. You mentioned Bonds. It's, it, it brings to mind that when we talked to her, um, gosh, was it last? Yeah, last <laughs> week. She did, did. She not mention that Barry Bonds mm-hmm. was was sort of her baseball. Uh, yeah. her, that was her idol, right? When it came to baseball, at least. Yeah, she didn't watch softball. She said she didn't watch softball growing up, but she watched Barry Bonds. So yeah, that was her idol. So she's getting treated like Bonds. There might be a, might be a, a reason for that. Uh, <laughs> a little karma involved. All right, listen. Um, we'll see how the Sooners uh, do in Manhattan tomorrow with regard to basketball, women's basketball. Oh yeah. Probably ought to mention them too, since they're going to Kansas City as well and are in much better, much better position than the men. Right? They're yeah. they're still angling for a top four seed and a chance to host a regional and are on track, I think, to do that still. Yeah, I think they are. I think it's one of those things where they have to. Of course, they play Kansas in their senior night finale. And big news with the program, it seems like Anna Lewin. I can't say her. I never. I knew I was going to butcher her last name. I see Anna's last name. Lanusa. Lanusa. I. I I can spell it. I just can't say it. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> the Robertson, they didn't participate in senior. They're not going to participate in senior night. And it just leads you to believe that they're going to come back next year. So you're looking at a strong team that will probably remain strong next year because they'll have that core coming back. And uh, for Ana's sake, you just hope that she can have a healthy year, man. She's just had so many injuries. She's been mm-hmm. off the season. So good on fire scoring points and, and setting up the offense. So for her sake, it'd be good to see her get a healthy year, but if those three come back, I mean, it's going to be good next year. But in the present, uh, they have an opportunity to host, and that would be huge. I mean, who would have thought of that? Last year at this time, who would have thought, you know, when they were struggling to finish 500 that in 2022 that they could host an NCAA regional? That's how big this has turned. Well, seriously, shame on me for almost forgetting to mention uh, the pro- a program that has done uh, – honestly – I think it's risen above the, any other at, at, on campus up to this point this year in terms of 
where they where they what they've achieved versus what everyone expected of them. It's it's been remarkable. We we yeah. put Jenny Baranchik on this on this show already. Uh, might be a good time to uh, to remember what Taylor Robertson has meant to the program. She, it was her buzzer beater, right, that beat Kansas mm-hmm. State after yeah. the Bedlam game at Lloyd Noble last Saturday. After the Sooners beat Oklahoma State in overtime, it was more dramatic uh, thanks to Robertson. So, yeah, it's amazing too when we were. Uh watching her pregame routine. It was came up to the men's game that day and she was out there just shooting threes, just shooting, shooting, shooting. And it's her pregame routine. It's what she does. And boy, I corner, left corner. I saw her make 10 in a row. I was counting. I said, how many is she going to make? And she made 10 in a row like it was nothing. She's an outstanding shooter. Just outstanding. Yeah, the, old, the OU version of what uh, Steph, uh, Steph Curry does before games. Exactly. Maybe exactly. without the degree of difficulty, although I bet if you asked her to, uh, to replicate Steph's routine, she'd have as much of a chance to do it as anyone in, in basketball. <laughs> Um, college so. basketball. All right. Have a good week, Eric. We'll talk next week. Catch us on TulsaWorld.com. Uh, if you want to only uh, hear us, then you can do that as well. This becomes a podcast. Thanks to our friends at Apple, Spotify, and Google. We'll talk to you next week.